Well, good afternoon, Valley Brook. It's great to be back with you all. Um, it's great to see you, Sarah and Phil. Thanks for flying all the way from Tanzania to come hear me preach. I appreciate that. <laughs> as you can see by the interesting title in front of you, I am going to be preaching on prayer today as we've been walking through uh, the spiritual disciplines. And when I had started thinking about how to preach on this, I wasn't sure what to do because the more I studied, the more I realized the topic of prayer is huge. There's so many different options I could have done. I could have talked about the different types of prayer in scripture, of um, uh, blessing God and worshiping God in prayer, or sorrowful prayer and how to do that, how to do intercessory prayer, how to do um, promise prayer to devote something to God, and try to give a full picture of what that looks like. I was thinking about doing um, different denominational prayers or at least different religions, how we think about doing prayer and then why Christians pray the way that we do. But when I was studying prayer, what kept coming to my mind um, was just how in the Western world, the Western church especially, it really feels like prayer has been dropped as a spiritual discipline that's really important for the church. And uh, personally, I was very affected by studying this, and I do think, at least from what I've seen in the church through sermons and through uh, my experience at Moody, um, I think prayer is just not talked about really in a correct way. It's certainly encouraged to do, but how to do it and how often we should do it is not really talked about. And so what I landed on doing was um, something a little interesting. What I would like to do is in the beginning of this sermon, I'm going to address two presuppositions that the Western church has really pushed forward in prayer that I think is not good to think about. It is something we kind of have subconsciously accepted and it's just grown as regular to think about prayer this way. I would like to dismantle those. Um, and then from there, I want to talk about what prayer is, and not in a one-sentence kind of statement way, but in a general sense, what is in the heart of a believer when they are praying and addressing God? So it's not a one-sentence kind of thing, but just in generally, what is the heart of prayer? So we're going to start a little bit negative because I'm going to be addressing things that I think the church needs to give up. I'm not necessarily going to be saying you, Valley Brookers, or calling anyone out specifically that you are thinking this way. But if you do think it applies to you, I hope that you would take it in personally. If it does not apply to you, feel free to shout hallelujahs and amens as I go. So it's one or the other. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> um, so... Knowing where we're going to be going, that's why I titled the sermon, Prayer Should You Do It More? Uh, the answer is probably yes, and here is why. Um, and the reason I really know it's probably yes that you should pray more is going to be our verse for the sermon. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 just says, pray without ceasing. And if you are sitting here and you do pray without ceasing, you can get up and leave if you would like. <laughs> but... Knowing that, um, let's go forward. And I actually wanted to start this sermon by giving a few definitions of prayer, which I know I said was not my goal, and that's not what I'm going to be doing, but I wanted to provide a good um, grounding for us all to look at like, what, what am I really talking about in the idea of prayer? And what does the church think about when we talk about prayer? 
So first um, is in the Catholic Catechism, I took uh, a class at Moody that was about Catholic theology. No, we are not Catholics there, it is just studying Catholic theology. Um, and I remember reading this and I was able to find it online and uh, in the Catechism it says, prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God or the requesting of good things from God. Which just in that little portion alone, I think we can all agree on. That sounds like a pretty good definition. Um, if you continue reading in the Catholic Catechism, they also have portions on how to read to different um, saints throughout history and also to Mary, which I find very funny considering the first definition of prayer that they give is praying to God. So those are a little contradictory, but this statement alone, when we just look at this, I think is a good ground that we could all agree on, that this, that's what prayer is when we're talking to God. Another definition I had found, which is more on the, the emotional side of prayer, the, the pathos end, is St. Teresa. And she wrote and said, uh, for me, prayer is a surge of the heart. It is a simple look toward heaven. It is a cry of recognition and of love, embracing both trial and joy, which I think is great. It's really getting at the end of we can go before God, whether we're joyful and on really happy days or when things are really hard and sorrowful. And it, it captures that well that we are just displaying our heart before God. So both of those are good. I found one other good definition from St. Wikipedia that we all trust very well on this side of the world. Um, and this is a really much more encompassing definition of all types of prayer, not just for Christianity, but worldwide. Uh, it said that prayer is an invocation or act that seeks to activate a rapport with an object of worship through deliberate communication. In the narrow sense, the term refers to an act of supplication or intercession directed towards a deity or a deified ancestor. More generally, prayer can also have the purpose of thanksgiving or praise, and in a comparative religion is closely associated with more abstract forms of meditation and with charms or spells. So this is a very broad sense of what prayer is, but what it does keep in mind is there's a real spiritual element, no matter who you're talking to about prayer, there is something spiritual happening, you are praying about something, um, focusing on it, you are meditating, um, and that can involve some weird stuff going on. But in a worldly sense, we, they can even see that there's supposed to be a spiritual element to the world. So if any of those definitions help, that can be our, our grounding before we move forward. So from this point on, I'm going to dive into what prayer is not, first of all. And the reason I'm doing this is because if you look and study church history, if you look at catechisms or confessions, um, what the church often does is first we say what things are not. So if you look at definitions of baptism or prayer or um, communion, there's often saying things, the church is going too far in one direction. We don't know how to exactly explain what is going on here, but we're gonna say that's, that's wrong. We're going in the wrong direction. So that's where I want to start. We're all good with that? Sound good? Okay. So, what prayer is not? Uh, point number one is that it is not wishful thinking given to your best friend, God. And I will like to say that um, in the time that I've been at Valleybrook, and I've been a part of this family for a long time, well, since the beginning of it, um, <laughs> that we do really good not to fall into this. But I do need to address it because I think there are a lot of churches 
especially mega churches in the West that do fall into this God is just the happy, jolly man in the sky who just wants to hear from his friend. He made you and your, your buddies, so uh, send them a request your way. And people have this subconscious idea of that's how we're supposed to pray. I don't think that's necessarily us, but if it does apply to you, make sure that that's not you and check your heart while you are praying to make sure you're not falling into this. And then number two, it is, um, this will need more explanation later. So I worded it as, it is not a time to step out of the real world, the real things going on in your life, and have a quiet time with God, which on the surface level doesn't actually really seem that wrong, but I will address it later and explain why this is not a great way to think about prayer. So think about it as a cliffhanger that will keep your interest until then. So I hope you're captivated. So, first off, it is not wishful prayer. <laughs> so, um, I played that video as, as you could maybe sense from how he was talking about it, it was very, like, casual in how you're supposed to pray. That, you know, before you go into your work, if you're just not feeling it that day, you could say, God, just help me, just, Lord, help me get through this, this hard day of work. That was my Joel Alstein impression. Um, <laughs> he is keeping this very casual sense of when you talk to God, he is there to be your best friend. Um, and prayer should be thought of as this thing where you go to him and just say, if you could help me get through something, that would be great. And in one sense, it is good to think about God as your friend. He is, he wants to be there for you and he loves you and he is listening to you as a good friend would do. However, when we are talking to God, we should not think of him as this friend that we can just approach whenever we want and there's this sense of casualness to our prayers. And I wanted to show the most extreme but maybe one of the most important versions of prayer that we know throughout history, which is Jesus talking to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. So when you read this passage in scripture and your understanding of prayer is, I'm gonna approach God who is my friend and if I really pray with a genuine heart and I just show him that I really love him, he will help me succeed in life because he's my friend. This passage makes no sense. This is not what God the Father should be responding to with Jesus. So let's take a look at it. Jesus in the garden. Uh, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this to me is the most 
heartfelt and pouring out of someone's soul to the Father. And it is the Son. It is God praying to God. It is saying, if anything can be done to have this cup pass from me, let it happen. And if we have this understanding that he's our, our wishful friend um, and you know he's just going to listen to us, uh, then how, why would Jesus be crucified? Why did he have to go through what he had to go through? Uh, if you have this understanding, this prayer does not make any sense. Um, so this is a complete dismantle of that type of understanding of just Jesus as your friendly person to go to. But he needs a seriousness, and he's not always going to answer your prayers the way that you think that he's going to. Just because you have sincerity in your heart and just because you think of him in a really kind way, it doesn't mean you have the expectation of demanding success. So... But again, I would like to say to Valleybrook, I think we do a very good job of not following into this category. When I hear a lot of us come together and pray, um, we do a good job to make sure it's selfless that we are trying to not um, put our own desires above what God wants. Now, the second thing that I wanted to address that I think the church can really step into, and when I was preparing this, I certainly felt convicted by this, that I kind of bought into this subconsciously, and um, I'm phrasing it, it's not stepping out of the real world. Prayer is not you stepping out of what's actually happening and taking time aside to pray and be with God. And what I mean by that is we kind of can put prayer in the same category as Netflix, or we can put it in the same category as listening to music or whatever you use to, uh, to relax after all the real things that you're really dealing with, you're taking time aside and just saying, I need to, to cool down. And prayer is put in the same category. But how wrong and false that truly is, it, so much that it's actually the exact opposite. I would say the way that we need to think about prayer is that everything going on in our life, whether it's work or relationships with others or it's um, different responsibilities that you have going on, or even leisurely activity. All the things going on in the world are really distractions from what is the most real thing in life, which is communion with God, which we have deemed with the word prayer. When you are praying, it is your soul with the Holy Spirit within you communicating to the Father, and that is the realest thing you could be doing. And so we have really bought into this idea of, oh, just wake up and do five minutes of prayer and then you can really start your day after prayer. So much the opposite. Your day should be full of prayer and every time you're doing something, you should be rushing back to pray to God. And um, to, the way that I know that this is an issue besides feeling conviction of myself and not seeing tons of Christians who really pray fervently um, I saw, uh, this was a study that was done in 2019, and <laughs> it's okay, that's just my parents, ignore them. <laughs> um, this is about the average time an American spends doing different activities, and um, this was taken by individual state, and it's funny that Illinois actually happened to be like in the middle of all of these categories, so these numbers are pretty accurate to where we are living. Um, and I found it interesting. So leisurely activity, we spend about five hours a day doing leisurely stuff. After a long day of work, we like to spend our time relaxing. 
our average time watching TV is about two hours and 45 minutes. So a lot of that leisure time is probably spent on TV, um, watching the news or watching a show or whatever. Um, I looked up the average time of Netflix per American in uh, the US and uh, it said average of 27 minutes, but that is pretty high because it's not, it's including everyone that doesn't have a Netflix account. It's saying there's a bunch of zeros of people that don't watch Netflix. They're probably watching a different streaming service. But then there's all these people who are watching hours of Netflix, so it kind of balances out. To say that every American every day could watch 27 minutes of Netflix and it would be the same ratio. So that is a lot of time. Thought this was an interesting one. The daily time spent grooming was about 35 minutes. I don't know about you guys, I do not spend 35 minutes grooming myself. <laughs> Um, this is either, I think it's strange that people do it that much, or a confession of I need to have better hygiene. But I guess we'll find out. Um, and then lastly, the last category was religious activities, and um, it spanned from two minutes to 17 minutes per day. So I just said about 10 minutes is around the middle. And that kind of makes sense when we think about the time that we spend to pray before each meal, or if you have a prayer time in the morning or at the very end of your day, you set five minutes aside to talk to God and really collect your thoughts. And when you look at that, I want you guys to ask yourself if this applies to you, of is most of your time going towards leisurely activities and the things that, need, that you need to do to relax and prayer is just another one of those things and you don't even do it as much as the other things. And I just want you to genuinely ask yourself if that's true. I found this true of myself and this, this is part of it being a spiritual discipline. You have to train yourself to be okay with praying continually and you have to fight for it rather than all these other things that are pulling for your attention. Saying, no, look at me, stop thinking about real things, stop thinking about God when you could learn an interesting story on Netflix or a murder mystery podcast. Or you could spend that time really communicating with God. I also would like to add that it is okay to go, like if you go home after church later and you watch Netflix, uh, that's okay. <laughs> Um, that I'm not calling for conviction on that, but even while you're watching a show or you're, you're um, spending time in the morning just getting ready, you can pray while doing that. And I hope, and scripture calls us to do that. It's while whatever we're doing, to keep God in the circle, keep him in your thought process. If you could make thinking synonymous with praying, do it. So, those are the two things that I wanted to dismantle before. Um, but now I want to get into what prayer is. And so I had this picture of white Jesus praying as kind of a joke of like how accurate prayer is by using this not accurate depiction of who Jesus is. I think a Mormon, it's like a Mormon art piece. But moving forward, what has to be in the heart of a believer when we address God? And first off, again, this is a topic that I think that Valley Brook is good at when we pray. But this has to be present. I have to talk about this because of how prevalent it is in Scripture and how clear it is when we watch and see Jesus pray. Um, it's that our desires have to be under God's and prayer is a, is a key to making sure that our desires are aligning with God's. 
And when you look at the big three examples of Jesus praying, you can see in all of those prayers, he includes a sense of submission to the Father's will. And we are to mimic this. We already looked at Matthew 26 as one example, saying, my Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And... Um, it, so the, the phrasing, your will be done. We will recognize this earlier in Matthew 6, 9 through 10 in the Lord's Prayer. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he is putting the will of the Father as priority in his prayers. Now, also to show that it's not this exact wording that you have to have in your prayers. You don't have to start or end a prayer every time saying, your will be done. Though that can be a good practice. You certainly can do that. Um, But in John 17, uh, this is the high priestly prayer Jesus has for um, his church, for the people. Uh, And he starts it by saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. So everything that Jesus is praying for in that sermon, the ultimate priority, the goal is to bring glory to the Father and saying your will should be done above mine. In what I'm asking, I hope that is the outcome. And this is what our hearts need to carry when we approach the Father. It is to make sure that we are not selfless, that we are not praying for um, kind of putting God in his own covenant of saying, God, you have to do this thing that I'm asking for in prayer, otherwise I'm gonna be upset with you. It's, you have to have a selfless heart of saying, God, I have these desires and I'm gonna bring them before you, but let me first make sure my heart is that your will be done and I, whatever the outcome is, I know it is for your glory and I am okay with that. That has to be your heart. So again, I do commend Valley Brook at being good at this, but this is something you have to talk about Um, or think about when you are praying. Second point that I wanted to address is that prayer is a constant therapy that we have access to. And this is a beautiful truth of prayer and that I love that we get to participate in once you are brought into the kingdom of God. So, um, when thinking about what, what I mean by constant therapy is it's kind of getting towards a specific type of prayer of when you are sorrowful or th- bad circumstances are happening around you or bad circumstances are happening to people you know or just stuff is going wrong and you have a heart ready to, to just be so- sad about it. You can take it before God and you constantly have that um, access to you. And... Um, this, this is fully blooming when we look at Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty. 30. This is Jesus and he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. I'm gonna pause right there and say that that's already amazing that Jesus, who is God and who had, through him all things were created, he first says, before I go any further, I want to recognize in your life that life can suck. Life can be really, really hard. And I'm going to recognize that. And I'm so sorry that it's hard for you. And this has been a tough week for me. And um, for those who don't know, my dad, (laughs) he was sick this week. And uh, it was scary for a little while. 
Um, but I had not prayed more than for him um, in that time period. Um, but how beautiful is it for us to know that when Jesus approaches us, he says, life can be really, really hard and you can have a burden on your back. And I don't think he's just talking about the burden of sin here, though he does relieve us of that. And when you come into Jesus, your sin is taken care of and he takes it away from you. But also, in, in just a fallen world, in a life of living outside the garden, outside the presence of God, he says, I know it's really hard, but if you come to me, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. For you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Which is a beautiful truth that Jesus shares and that he allows us to participate in. And how do we, not just at the moment of salvation, but how do we as believers participate in that light yoke? It is through communion with Christ and his spirit within us. We have to interact with the spirit in us to participate in the light yoke that Jesus promises. This paired with what Paul is talking about in Philippians 4, 6, 7 gives a clear image. Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that Paul so brilliantly writes about and tells us about, he says the way to access that and the, the light yoke that Jesus is talking about is by prayer. It is the spirit within you um, communicating to him. And I had thought of, um, I think it's Horatio Spafford. Is that correct? Yeah? Okay, cool. Um, if you guys don't know, so he was the person that wrote uh, It Is Well With My Soul. And I think a lot of you have heard the story behind this song um, and when he wrote it. Um, but if you did not, it makes this song even more meaningful. So Horatio, uh, he belonged to the Anglican church and he was an Anglican priest. Um, and he often was preaching at different churches around in the area. And then there was a time coming up um, where he was able to take a vacation with his family and I didn't know this, but he, they were planning to go on a ship and go travel to go watch D.L. Moody preach, which I did not know, but uh, that's, I find that very interesting. Um, but um, as the time came up to the vacation, um, Spafford, with his responsibilities at many different churches, things were popping up and he was not able to go on this vacation. But with his other responsibilities, he wanted his family to still go. So his wife and his four daughters got on the ship and on the way they were heading there, there was a storm at sea that wrecked the ship and his wife and four daughters all died. And so Spafford, in just a moment, in an unexpected event, he had lost the woman that he loved and all his children. I personally cannot imagine the pain of losing your whole family in a moment like that. I don't know what I would do with myself. I don't know how to think. I don't know what was going through his head. But also it is, I know it's a constant pain because every day he wakes up, his wife isn't there and his children are not there. But a few days after that this event happened, 
I know the lore of the story, I don't know if it's historically proven, but is told that he was out on a boat and while he was looking out at the ocean and he was looking at the very waters that swallowed the ship that killed his family, he looked at the water and said, this was the creator of life who made this and he is still good. And he wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And so I wanted to share this um, one, I think it's the second verse of the song. He wrote, though Satan shall buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And only someone who really feels the, the, the light yoke that Jesus promises, someone who is in true communion with the Holy Spirit within them, could say and write something such as that after having such a loss in their life. And this is the type of thing that you are promised to participate in, but you also have to pray. You have to participate in it. This is not something you should passively think about like a Netflix watching or just going on a drive to clear your head. This is something you have to cling on to and you should want to participate in the communion of God. And this is the type of peace you are promised. So that point is a little bit heavier. Um, and so I wanted to end with one more point on what prayer is. So we're remembering that our desires are supposed to be under the will of God's. We remember that God loves us enough to be there for us and he promises his light yoke. And then one more thing, I titled this point, Not Yet But Already. And this is getting at um, its kingdom eschatology in the, the theological realm um, the, there is the already but not yet which is referring to the kingdom of God and how we are currently living in God's kingdom now and as soon as you are saved as soon as the, the Holy Spirit regenerates you and he makes you alive you are in the kingdom of God but yet we still hold to a coming hope that a full kingdom is going to come and we will dwell with God. But when we say that, I think we can be really quick to blow past the things that we already do have. There, there can be too much focus on, I just can't wait for that coming kingdom. Like, man, this life is just, I don't know what's going on. There's COVID and the bears are bad. It's just the worst. And <laughs> when we think about all of uh, all the things that are just going on, we're just hoping for that coming kingdom to come. But there are amazing things that we do have access to. And I want to point out um, the language of what heaven is going to be is to be dwelling with God in his presence. And it's actually described in the book of Revelation really similarly to how prayer is talked about in the New Testament and what we have access to right now. So in Revelation 21.2, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. In Revelation 21, the whole chapter and 22 is a description about what heaven looks like. It's very visual. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's very beautiful. It's very encouraging. And the way the chapter starts is by saying, what is, what is the key to heaven? It is going to be the dwelling place of God among his people. We are returning back to the garden. There is no longer a curtain separating God from his people. We are going to be able to be with him. 
But now if you look at um, different verses talking about prayer and the Holy Spirit dwelling among us, the verbiage is very similar. And it's saying that we already, in a sense, have a presence of God with us. Not fully like the coming kingdom, but we do have a literal presence of God amidst us. 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Similarly to the temple in the Old Testament, it was the dwelling place of God amongst his people. And um, in the same sense, we are now the temples. We are now the place where God dwells among us. He is within you. There's 1 John 4.13, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We know um, the Spirit is given to us and the Spirit of Christ himself is now dwelling within us. And there's a very, just literal sense being shown within these verses. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We know that the Spirit of God is within us, and we are promised a liberty with that. Yes, not a liberty in the same way the kingdom of God is going to present and not in the same way where we will have complete release from sin. We will have our sorrows taken away. He will wipe the tears from our eyes. That is going to come. But there also is a liberty we are in right now because it's where God's spirit is residing. It's within us. And the way you get to participate in that is by interacting with the spirit within you that is on our behalf communicating with the Father and the Son. So in the same liberty that's promised of the coming kingdom, we are in it right now, and that is amazing. I think it's absolutely crazy how, how good of a job Satan has done to the Western church to say, look at all these other things you can fill your time with. Make sure you're listening to podcasts all the time, and make sure um, you're on your phone all the time. Make sure you're watching Netflix. But when you remember what we are promised, you get to participate in the communion of God in a very real sense right now, and we just don't do it. And th that has to change. And I plead with you guys to pray ceaselessly. This is why we're commanded to do it. It's not a command just out of, you should do this because God wants you to. It's a just, you get to be in communion with God. And it's, it's the best thing you could be doing. It's the best thing for you. So, all that to go to say. I had covered a lot. There was a lot of quotes, a lot of uh, different um, Bible verses to look at. You're going to say, like, Josh, what do I take away from this? And there is not one, again, not one type of um, quote I want you to remember about what prayer is. My hope by the end of this is that you guys walk away just wanting to pray more, and that's it. It's on your drives home. I hope that you continue to talk to God in your hearts and in your head. I hope that when you get home and you, you make lunch for your family and that you watch the Bears lose or whatever. I think they're playing today, I don't know. Um, it's just whatever activities you have coming up, don't save your time of prayer for the end of the day, but pray and keep God a part of it throughout the day. It will be so much better and you will be able to grow spiritually so much better and you will be closer to God. I had found two more quotes I wanted to share of men who um, I have read some of their books that have really affected me and they really understood the power of prayer. First is C.S. Lewis. This would not be a Josh Sermon without a C.S. Lewis quote. Um, he says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. 
I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. And I love that. I sincerely hope, I'm not saying I'm at that point where I just have to pray. It is still very much a discipline to me of I need to remind myself I should be talking to God right now. But I encourage you guys to chase after the type of heart that C.S. Lewis is talking about here. A heart that, that wants to pray. That every time you're distracted from not praying, that you would run back to praying to make sure you are talking with God and you are communicating with him. And I hope that you would chase after that with me. Another example is John Bunyan, who uh, wrote Pilgrim's Progress. If you have not read that book, I think Valley Brook has done groups reading through that book before. It's very good. If you have not read it, I recommend it. Um, But he writes, um, or he says, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Pray often, for prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. And I like that quote because of, of all the benefits he's getting at that happen in prayer. It's not just something that we're told to do, but it's a, it's a guarding of your soul. It's making sure that you're being able to focus on what really is true and communion with God. It is a worshipful act to God yourself. When you are praying to him, you are saying that I want to give my time to you. I want to make sure you know that I am focused on you. And it is worship. And the last, it is Uh, It's an attack on Satan. And when Satan wants to distract you with all the the different traps he's set up in this world, the way that he wants to steal your attention away from God and he wants to, to pick at you and say you should focus on all these other things or you should focus on yourself or you should focus on me, you get to say I am too busy, Satan. I am in communion with God. So leave me alone. So that is my hope for all of us um, as we go away and As I end here, I wanted to share one story as an encouragement of the power of prayer, as a reminder of what prayer can really do for us. Um, I heard a story by Jer Jones, who was a pastor, or is a pastor, and he he had gone to Bridgetown in Portland at their church, and he was helping preach a a gospel series that they had covered. Um, And Jerry Jones, he was talking about evangelism and how to do it correctly, and he was kind of doing what I did where there's a bit of correction that needs to happen in the West. Um, And he talked about, for a decent amount of time, the importance of prayer when evangelizing. And so he shared a personal story. His story was that he would, um, he shared that every morning he liked to go on a prayer walk, or the mornings that he could. It was a few miles long, so he would spend about two hours um, out on this prayer walk. And um, during a few weeks before this sermon, uh, he was just asking God uh, what God would like him to focus on and to think about what he should do uh, for the rest of his day. What is God teaching him? Um, And Jones had really thought about this time as it's him and God's time. You know, it's his time of focusing on God. But he kept feeling this um, this nagging in his head of, uh, Jones, you should not just be praying to me, but you should be sharing the good news and the peace that I am showing you right now. You need to tell others about what you are experiencing. And Jones, similarly to probably how I would feel, is I don't want to do that. This is my prayer time. This is uh, my introvert time. I don't want to talk to people. It's going to ruin my me time. Um, so, He continued doing a few more prayer walks, but then kept feeling the conviction of needing to talk to others. 
And so eventually at the start of one week, he did pray to God and he said, okay, God, if you want me to talk to others, I want you to provide them, provide the opportunity for it to happen. I don't have the strength to go up and make this start happening. Um, I just don't find myself doing that, but can you provide it for me and make the opportunity? After he prayed this prayer, for the next two weeks, every single time he went out on a prayer walk, which I think was every day, um, someone had come up to him just striking up conversation. And it was a very natural flowing conversation of different depending on the person. And through the flow of the conversation, it always led to Jones being able to pray over the person. It was as if they were asking for prayer to happen. And not only did he get to pray for them, but by the end of the prayer, he opened his eyes and he saw that person was weeping. He sensed that the love and peace that he was experiencing on those prayer walks, he was able to share a glimpse of it with someone that has not tasted it before. He did not share how many of those people were converted or anything like that, but he did get to, through his story, he was very much sharing the power of prayer, the opportunity of being able to talk to others and the effect prayer had on those who weren't even necessarily saved yet. Those who have not committed to Christ saw the love and peace that this man had and it brought them to tears. And that is the power of prayer. So all that in mind, I hope Valley Brook, that you are encouraged to go forth this week, that you would be devoted to prayer, not in a sense of Josh was for some reason passionate this week and he wanted to tell us to pray um, and now I have to. I want it to be genuine in your own heart that you really want to approach God. I promise you it is so, it's beautiful, it is a spiritual blessing that we get to participate in that. It will help you in hard times and it will make the, bed t- the good times even better. So all that together, Um, I hope that you would go forward and pray. And speaking of praying, would you pray with me now? (sighs) Heavenly Father, we just thank you so, so much for the opportunity to approach you, that you allow us to even come to your throne and to talk to you. It is such a blessing that you have showed your love and peace to us. Uh, We are sorry for all the times that we do not communicate to you, that we think that we can solve these problems on our own, that we, we are filled with pride and we listen to the serpent rather than you. I just pray for everyone here that you would encourage them, that your spirit would be moving within them, that you would allow them, um, a a constant reminder that they should run to you in all things, both in joy and in sorrow, that you are there for them. And I just pray ultimately that in our prayers and in our actions and throughout our weeks, that you would be glorified, that we could turn to you, we would would be able to love you well and show um, that we are ready to devote ourselves and be worshipful towards you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.